This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook, and at trevorjamesflutes.com. Hello, welcome to Talking Flutes. I'm Claire Southworth. Now, I've just had the most wonderful conversation with the ever effervescent Atara Bentovin. And I started by asking her about some memories of William Bennett, known to us all as Wib. I'd love to hear your thoughts and memories about Wib. In a way, I've thought about this quite a lot because obviously I've been watching all the wonderful things people have said about him. I watched the celebration, but I've had amazingly little contact with Wib in my life. I've had a few personal contacts, but this might quite surprise people, but he really wasn't interested in a woman from the provinces. What you've got to really understand in a funny way is Wib is is London-based, okay? And I was a... I don't know, a cheeky young woman, 21, 22, when Wib was around. And we had very little contact. I regret it now. I mean, I met him personally at conventions and competitions. I think we did adjudicating together. But we had very little contact. I was sort of not on his radar, really, whether it's because I was a woman, whether it was that time in history, whether it was because I was in Liverpool and he was one of the big guys. I don't know. So I regret it now that he's not here all the opportunities I miss, but we had really almost no contact. I think I must be one of the very few people who've said this. Is that correct, Claire? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Also, I'm not a kind of, I think I'm a very different generation, even though he's older than me. For me, I'm not a flute guru person. And when I started the flute and was really working at the academy, there was Gareth Morris and there was Geoffrey Gilbert, but it wasn't a kind of guru atmosphere. They weren't heroes. Gilbert was the great teacher in the Royal Phil. Gareth Morris was in the Philharmonia, wonderful orchestral player, and they were the main teachers. We didn't, in a funny way, we didn't worship our teachers. We were really shit scared of them, to put it crudely. Gareth Morris used to, you had to arrive exactly on the minute. He finished exactly on the minute. They were both incredible gentlemen without much of this human contact that Whip has. I think it was just a whole different world of the flute. I've been watching a lot of the BBC things recently when they have famous performances from the past and how dignified the orchestra were then. Nobody moved, nobody waved. There were a lot of elderly men, but there wasn't any kind of hero worship for us in the flute world. I think things have changed incredibly in the last 30 or 40 years. Would you agree with me, Claire, or do you think I'm being a bit oldy and wrinkly here? I think you're being absolutely accurate, as always. (laughs) I've thought about this a lot, you know, because... I just thought this is this might be my very last podcast ever because so, so I'd like to say a few things that I care about. And I think it really, I know we've often been talking about my being one of the first women. I don't think it was the women so much, the woman being the attitude. I didn't feel I was a woman. Once I got in the National Youth Orchestra, principal flutes, I was a blinking bulldozer. I thought if I played better than those guys, I'd just get the job. But it didn't worry me that I was a woman. I've got three brothers who are all doctors and educated. It didn't seem to me any kind of an issue. I wanted to do it and I was going to do it, male or female. And I think that's the difference between me and many people of that generation. But the London guys, as I call them, like there was the Wib and the, well, Jimmy's different actually, but there was Wib and Trevor and Adrian. And 
they kind of didn't acknowledge us when we got jobs in the provinces because there were some fine players. There was Roger Rostrum. He was great in the Halley, Alan Lockwood in Scotland, me in Liverpool. But we were sort of, I think we were beneath dignity, really. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's a funny thing to say. Do you agree, Claire? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because you said something. I'll quote, I'm going to quote you. Um, oh, dear. Yes, you said... I wondered how did I, in 1962, an overweight Jewish woman, ever manage to get a job? With luck, I guess, not sure about talent. Also, I wasn't very feminine. I was about 16 stone, like a, built like a tank, very, very physically strong. And if, somehow or other, perhaps I didn't even feel like a woman. Now all the women in the orchestra are so beautiful. I noticed yesterday, by the way, did you happen to see that there's through, through five new jobs at the Royal Academy, three of whom are beautiful women? But in those days, you weren't a beautiful woman. There'd been Janet Craxton around on the oboe. Now, she, you can't call her a beautiful woman. There weren't any sort of dolly birds. Perhaps I just wasn't a dolly bird. I wasn't sexually attractive. I don't know. I just, <laughs> it's odd when you look back about all of this, isn't it, Claire? It's I wasn't aware of it era. as much until this recent celebration of Wibbs uh, uh, when it was at that Holy Sepulchre. And I thought about this a lot then. Can I give you a rather embarrassing example? Am I allowed to be a bit argumentative? Go on then. Well, it was very odd. It must have been about, I don't know, a convention 15 years ago. And I was doing a very unusual chat called Flute and Words. I did lots of poems I discovered, lots of flute stuff that people really didn't know anything about. And Wib, Trevor, Adrian, I don't think Jimmy, were all walking past going to have a rehearsal for one of their opera things. And I, for once in my life, I said, look, fellas, why don't you come and listen to me? You know, I mean, I've thought about this for 20 years. I could be interesting. And they just looked at me and laughed. <laughs> and I thought, okay, give up. I'm just a provincial idiot. Oh. So that's really one of the things I've been thinking about a lot recently. Well, and uh I think now it's all so incredibly different. It's nice to be a woman now. Most of the orchestra seem to have got women in them. But I think I was in the kind of, we call it the kind of break and break moment in history, really. As you, you know, Claire, don't you? you? You were a trailblazer, Atara. You did well, so much. Was I, really, I, mean, I was thinking about that as well. I mean, there was Janet Craxton in the around and there was a few Corongo players who were women. I think I was a trailblazer in that it, it just, I just was a woman, but it didn't matter really at that moment in history. I think perhaps 10 years later would have been different. It was 1962. I first of all got the job in Sadler's Wells after Jimmy left, which is very unusual. I think Jimmy never fitted quite into this guru kind of thing. When he was young, he was a bit like me in that he just had to do it. There wasn't any question, any choice. He didn't care who you were, what you were. He just wanted to play the flute. And I felt like that about the flute, really. A blinding passion to play the flute solo in Mahler, Dasselerd, von der Erd, or to play the flute solo in Beethoven, really. I think it was altogether a different world, Claire. There was much less alternative flute playing at that time in history. There were basically flute principles. And we were very lucky in Liverpool in that because there wasn't the great solo round, we could do the concertos. I did the Eber and the Nielsen and all the Mozarts. As a provincial player, and the Frank Martin, that was a great experience but I don't know whether that would happen now a principal flute in a provincial orchestra will get these opportunities no, so maybe. you had such advantages being in the principal in a provincial orchestra you stopped caring whether you're a woman or not until you had a baby mind you then the problem started 
Yeah, well, my my memories of, of you are that the fact that you were always so brave and so strong in what you did and you didn't let anything bother you. And I think that was incredibly yeah. important at that time because you could easily have been put off and gone yes. on the path, but you didn't. You stuck with no, it. No, thank you, Claire. That's really well said. I had my two female second flutes and third flutes. Pat Morris got in the job later. Judy Fenton. So it was a very freaky time in history, really. But I didn't care. I just wanted to play all these wonderful flute parts. Since I was about 14, I used to go to sleep with Wilfred Smith Orchestral Studies and Yellow Scores. All that mattered was the chance to play Tchaikovsky, Mozart piano concertos, and to play with great... In those days, in the, in the provinces, you played with the great soloists. You played with Oistrak and Menuhin. The two Oistraks, that was a great experience when we played with the menu in Jackie Dupre, Claudio Arrow. I mean, we had amazing experience. We played with Ron Paul, by the way. Do you know the story of me and Ron Paul? I do not, but I'm sure we'd love to hear it. <laughs> well, he came to the Phil when I was about, I don't know, 1970. And uh, he played the, I think it was a D major. At any rate, at the end, he said, what flute were you playing? I said, oh, it's an old rural cart. He said, uh, oh, I'd like to try it. So he tried it and said, oh, my God, that's just an antique thing. It should be in a museum. I wish I'd known Ron Paul, actually. He'd done some great stuff. But it wasn't a kind of guru worship. It wasn't hero worship, Ron Paul. It was what he was playing, all that marvellous repertoire we'd never heard before. Don't forget, until all these recordings, there were very few recordings. In 19, 19 wait a minute, 62, 58, I'd have had three records of the flute. There just weren't many around that you could get. So that Ron Paul coming was a great revelation. Wibbs carried on that kind of tradition, hasn't he, really? Yes, yes, he did. So he, he sort of crossover with uh, Rampal. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. I think he was a crossover. I'm just an, an ancient monument, really. To me, the flute, to me, the wooden flute is an orchestral sound. I don't like flute playing's waving and moving all the time. I just like flute players blending with the rest of the woodwind. I, I think I'm just uh, out of fashion, Claire. Well, there's, there are a few principal flutes now who have wooden head joints and somehow... Yeah, it's not the same, though. I, I was very surprised. I happened to listen just recently, because I'm looking for the recordings of mine, and I was amazed the difference, you know. It's not the same, Claire. No. I was playing with somebody who wasn't just a student. She said, oh, my God, what's that sound? And I said, that's a real wooden flute. Yeah. I think Daniel Palethorpe in the BBC... Yeah, I was going to say Daniel, yes. He makes yeah. a great sound, yeah. He's, he's, he, but he's like me, he's a bit of a crossover. He's a bit of the old old school, isn't he, really? A little bit. He looks dignified, he doesn't move. He's lovely to watch, lovely to listen to. And Gareth are just fine, classic kind of flute players, really. It's interesting you should make yeah, those two, Gareth Davis and Daniel Palethorpe. Yes, there's, there's something very graceful about them. Their yes. stature when they play with such... Elegance. I, I would use the word dignity, actually. And it's very near the flute players of my generation, really, because Gareth and Jeffrey, they played with dignity. It's somehow or other, it wasn't, listen to me, I'm a great soloist, I'm a star. I'm just blending with the orchestra, I'm part of a group. And that's, I think that's the major difference, those two, are absolutely. You feel they're just part of the orchestra. Maybe the problem is that because there are so many flute players now with so little opportunity that... Other players now trying to find some sort of unique personality trait to make them stand out and stand apart from the rest. And it's got a little bit too much now. Yes, with the... I would agree. I call it the alternative flute world, really. There's a whole alternative world, which is the future. 
that is growing with lots of people managing to get a recital here and there, a concert here, a recording. There's a whole new world opening up, but it's not my world. I don't, is it yours, Claire's? No, it's not mine at all. No, I don't. No. Like, I don't oh, it's so nice to talk to someone and miss it. Oh, my God. Because when I say to the kids that don't like rock music, they say, you can't say that. I said, but you say you don't like orchestral music. Yes, it's a whole alternative world that I'm, I'm too old for, I presume. It doesn't move my soul. To me, when I hear something that moves my soul on the flute, that's what it is. That's exactly what because it is. A poem, I think it said, uh, the flute is it's just a tool in its own right. It's a tool to say something with. And if we're experimenting to find something else with the flute, well, that's the way it goes. We're training a lot of young people. We know they won't get jobs in orchestra, so... They might do chamber music, might get recitals, but it, it's a whole world, different world out there. And I think Wib was in the middle of that world. Do you, Claire? Yeah, I mean, he he certainly moved people and communicated people. And for him, it was all about what he was saying with the music. The narrative is the music, not the player. And I think Ooh. today's players are too much about themselves. There's too much. I think there's too much ego. In a lot. Oh, Claire, it's so wonderful hearing, Sarah. I was embarrassed to say this is what I feel incredibly, having sat through endless competitions. I, I just can't believe it sometimes, as if you're saying I'm a great hero. Also, I think, you know, Claire, one of the problems of the flute is, and I mean, Gareth, I'll never forget Gareth Morris saying to me, look, it's an easy instrument. There's technically nothing you can't do with a bit of practice. Well, if you compare it with, because he, he was a fabulous pianist, you know, if you compare it with what you have to do on the piano or the fiddle, we're building problems for ourselves. Wow. We're making difficulties, we're producing kind of elaborate studies, we're doing various things to make the flute appear more difficult. But the old-fashioned flute, which is what I am, doesn't need all these skills. Perhaps the modern flute does, I'm not sure. It's a different beast. It's nice to talk to someone who feels like me. I know, I know I'm, I'm a crumbly, and, but I've been dying to say this for a long time. I mean, I think the flute, I'm a flute obsessed. I mean, my whole house is still full of 1,200 figures of flutes, and I've got almost every bit of flute choir music's ever written. To me, the flute has been the whole core and centre of my entire existence, but not the modern flute. I can't relate to it, and I have to assume it's me, but it doesn't move my soul. I can think, God, that's clever, mm. really. Hard to change the core of one's being, isn't it, Claire? It is, because this is, this is what you've grown up with, and, and you're, yeah. you're connected in a, almost a spiritual way with, with yes. your, your flute. And, and I, I have the same feeling when I play my Rudel Kart. So there's a whole different emotion when you, yep. when you play it. But Interesting. Spiritual. That, that is actually what I feel, but I'm rather embarrassed to say that normally. I, even now, I mean, I sold my Rudel Kart to a girl. I know we get the same joy, but I couldn't believe it when I came to play it again. I thought, oh my God, it's right in my belly. Also, it might be an interesting thing for people to know that I, whenever I, I've been very ill recently, when I go to hospital and they take x-rays of my body. They all say to me, what the hell did you do for a living? You've got the body of an athlete. And I say, I played a wooden flute because the pressure required to play a wooden flute from the beginning at the age of 12 was enormous. And I have muscles that I don't think many other people have. You don't get the same muscles on a silver flute. It does it for you, but the wooden flute, you've got to do it. And it develops a whole of a body contact that I think stands you in good stead for all of your life. <laughs> Yeah, I, I started also on a wooden flute that my teacher I know, I remember. Had, yeah. had loaned to me. And then before I'd even sort of knew how to play, it was changed for a silver flute. And there was nobody around who was really pushing the, the wooden flute. So, of course, by the time I got to college, nobody played a wooden flute. How much younger are me? Are you than me, Claire? 
Oh, I think I'm about... A generation, a generation. I'm a generation, yeah. I'm a generation. You've got grandchildren, I've got great-grandchildren. Ah, have you? Congratulations. I went to college in Lovely. the late 70s. Yes, so we're next... You see, you're, you're in a way in the middle of it all, Claire. I, I'm old, I'm... In the past, I'm in the Gareth Morris tradition, in really deep down, the flute, the orchestra, a certain limited repertoire is what's important to me, really, chamber music, but all the modern techniques and everything just aren't part of my, but you do them, but I, they're just not part of my soul. I can't, yeah. I can't change that. But, I've well, tried, I think, but that's the way I, it is. I think we should try and change it, to be honest, because I think that we need to get back to the sort of more emotional playing and a flute that sort of moulds itself and can yeah. blend. Yes, Claire, that's why I actually was quite happy to talk to you today, because I don't think I'll do this again. I just feel there's something terribly wrong with flute playing. People have stopped obeying the rules. There's a rule in music. You accent the first beat of the bar and the third beat of the bar. You don't play loud just because it's high. You don't vibrato at the bottom just because you want to. There's certain basic rules about any woodwind player. I think perhaps my advantage is I've taught the clarinet a lot and my granddaughter's a fabulous clarinet player. And I've thought about this a lot, but no clarinet player disobeys the rules like we do. Oboe players, they're creative, but they don't disobey all the basic rules of music. And that's why I find flute players are just indulging in, in, in forgetting that it's a simple tune that starts at the beginning, goes to the middle, carries on. When you breathe, you should make it part of the phrase if you need to. There's a whole basic of music that I don't think we're concentrating on as flute players. We've gone into our own, and I don't think we're putting the music first, Claire. Very few people. It's I as though it's finished. Music. Okay, thank, thank you, somebody. You wrote this lovely piece of music. Now I am going to show you what it should sound like. Yeah. And I think this is a big problem because when you teach like that, they teach the students hate you. Well, I don't I don't know. I think there's a lot of pressure to in terms of matching your peers and to be able to play as fast and as loud with as much vibrato. Yeah. Um, and to be flashy as opposed to, as we said earlier on, being the vehicle to express the music. So, you know, I'd yeah. love to be able to listen blind and say, Oh yes, that's that's uh, Bach or it's Mozart or it's uh, Martinu, and not say, oh, that's a certain player playing. Clever, yeah, but I agree completely. Yeah, yeah. But and there's also a song, "Where Have All the Flowers Gone?" I always think of that song when I think of "Where Have All the Pianos Gone?" Yeah. <laughs> I always think of that song when I listen to flute players. It's as though there's mezzo forte, forte, fortissimo. You know, whereas I, I think for me, the revelation actually was watching a Russian clarinet teacher teach my granddaughter. I couldn't believe the, he spent a year on one movement of a Weber concerto. Perhaps, I, and I watched him conscientiously every bar, every second, where do you, and I haven't come across that on the flute for years, that kind of concentrated approach to the basis of playing. It could be that our repertoire doesn't, lead to this because if you've got the Weber clarinet concertos and some of the Brahms you have a more intelligent approach I think to musicality it could be part of our repertoire Claire I know but you know it's, it, I think we've touched on a real sort of raw nerve here <laughs> I've done it on purpose <laughs> I said can I I'm in I'm in agreement you know I I rarely hear flute playing that I like anymore and I go back and hear the great players to get sort of emotionally moved and feel a contact with um who would you listen to oh well now you're asking ah, so ah, yeah i've got recordings of roger rostrum in the halle 
You see, I mentioned Roger. Isn't that interesting? I you used see? to sit next I to him. I said that that, like, like Wibb and Trevor and all that lot would have discarded Roger, but he was a lovely player. Oliver Bannister. Yeah, well, going back to Roger for a minute, because I, I sat, ne sat next to him in the Halle for a little while when I was, you know, doing sort of freelance work, and he taught me so much. Yeah, I, I would agree. I didn't appreciate it at the time because it was very different to what I was sort of being taught. But but he, he just did it. I mean, he just did it. It wasn't any fuss, no drama, no dramatics. He was playing the music, Roger. Nice. He, did it. he was very, very good. It's funny I mentioned him earlier, Roger. Interesting yeah. you said that. He used to say yeah. that he didn't play with vibrato, but of course he was the most... He played with the most beautiful, subtle vibrato that you that, that was needed in that whatever music he was playing. Yes, absolutely. Funny, isn't that funny? We both mentioned Roger Ruff for all these years. I think this is quite a interesting conversation, really. Yeah, and then it's funny, isn't um, it? All these memories. I think I've been thinking about this quite a lot since all the all the wimp praising and everything. I mean, he's only. Uh, I think. I think Jeannie once got very cross with me, Jimmy Galway's wife, because she said, how do we honour this great man for his birthday or something? And I said, well, he's only a flute player. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're just flute players. We're playing a comparatively simple instrument and well, we're Jim playing did. other people's music on the whole. Yeah. And we're doing a job and we're doing it as well as we can with as much soul as we can. We're not saying, aren't we clever? Isn't this wonderful? It, it's just part of the whole period of classical music, really. That's perhaps it won't be there anymore, will it, Claire? Yeah, but um, the only thing I, I must say is that what Jimmy did, he brought the flute to the masses. Oh, no, that's completely different. He's I done. Mean, you know that I must be one of the very few people alive now, because we were together in the, I think it was London School Symphony Orchestra when he was 16 and I was 15. And oh, John well, Francis Jimmy. tried to make a match of us when he came from Ireland because we were both obsessed with the flute. But I thought an Irish boy and a Jewish girl didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, yes, he, he's, he's done miraculous things, changed the whole shape of the flute. That's why the whole thing is a kind of, I'm old, I'm in a different world before the flute became a, a superstar vehicle. And you have to decide really what you feel the flute is about. Mm. I feel it's part of an orchestral sound, an integrated instrument on the whole with a very limited repertoire, actually, if we're really honest about it. But it has moments that surpass all beauty, I think. Do you? Yes, it does. And in sometimes the, the most the most saddest moments in music, the flute has the solo. Yeah, there's a moment that I never forget. I always think about it. I was doing the A major piano concerto with Ashkenazi. And there's a very simple tune. I can't sing. Da, do, 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 do. I thought, God, that's one of the most beautiful bits of music that's ever been written. And I thought, aren't I lucky? I'm so, it was such a miracle in my personal life to have the, a job when I could do it. So, and have the chance to play that with some great players. It's only a little bit in Beethoven piano concerto. Da, 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 da. I mean, those passages, they don't come in our solo repertoire. There's yeah. some glorious, glorious, magical bits of music. And I'm into that kind of flute playing. I'm not an alternative flute playing, a contemporary flute playing. I, don't, I hope I am a trail breaker, but I hope, I, but I think I'm, not really necessarily a trail breaker. As a woman, I think it's because it's the woman going into the provinces that was the trail breaker. Building a community life as a flute player, which is rare. That was the miracle of being in Liverpool. You weren't just a flute player in an orchestra, you were a flute player making music for the audience because the audience really cared about it at that time in history. They were very, very educated in Liverpool. Mm. So though I 
I was talking my, with my husband about this today. He said, look, whether, whether you're a woman or a man, you're just a bloody bulldozer at Tara. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't have motivated 2,000 kids at the same time with the Tara's band without that terrible energy. So perhaps for me, the flute just wasn't enough. So that's why I had to go into kids' concerts. But for me, it's still the great miracle of my life, Claire, the flute. I don't know whether that sounds silly to you, but do you understand that? No, of, of course it is. I mean, I think to, to a lot of us that the, you know, who've played all our lives, that the flute is, is like a, an extra limb. It's, it's part of yeah. our being. And, and it's, yeah. it's awful when if it was the thought of it not being part of our being is, is, is horrendous. Yeah. I have one word of strange advice for flute players that I, what I think is missing. For example, when I was teaching a lot, and I say I was teaching the Mozart G major concerto, I would insist they knew all the violin concertos and played them. Always. And I would, and I, I would insist they played the cello concertos and from the, from, from the bass clef. I think the major problem of the flute is like take the Mozart G. We look at it in its, as Mozart G major flute concerto, but if you go bum, 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 if you look at the fiddle concertos, you approach it differently. And I will never forget, I would think, actually, I might have been with Weir Bodley enough doing a competition. We were doing the first movement of the Mozart G 28 times. And there was only one girl that I thought played Mozart as it should be played. Would you believe it? She was a bassoonist and second study flute player. Yeah. Because she thought about the bassoon concerto. And I think we as flute players don't consider enough the other instruments. We're, we're in our own world more and more. We're not relating to the repertoire of the other wind instruments, which would extend our emotional knowledge of what we do. Do you feel that's the case, Claire? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm uh, uh, I'm cer was certainly guilty of that when I first started because I listened to flute as what as much flute I as I could get, and I didn't think until I got to college that to go and listen to string players and pianists, yeah. singers, and and I think that's what anyone listening today to us, if you want to if you want to learn, you need to you need to go and and listen to other players and play their music as well. It's definitely what you should There's do. a few bars, I just happened to pick it up on YouTube yesterday, Vangeli playing about eight bars of the Beethoven opening. And I thought, oh my God, this is just amazing. I'd forgotten what it could sound like. Mm. There's some great, great players on the other instruments. Also, if you listen to Brimer again, I was on, on a train and they were playing Brimer's slow movement of the Mozart. I mean, it couldn't be anybody else. Did you ever listen to it in your youth? No, no, I don't, I don't remember. No. Oh, you can't. You must listen to it. It was the first time we'd ever heard vibrato on the clarinet. Wow. Oh, it was just amazing. Oh, he was a wonderful musician. You never never seen Brian up pictures of him. Um, oh, yes, yes, yes. Of course. But, with, um, his, with his wife with her pink hair. She, oh, he was an incredible, incredible musician. He's such an amazing guy. And I think perhaps we're just, I mean, I wish I was teaching now because if I did, I would teach very differently. But I think we as flute players must stop concentrating all the time on the alternative flute and go back to the basis. I mean, when I, I for example, had a flute choir and we did the first movement of the D major quartet, let's say. And when I decided to be really vicious and criticized, they were horrified. And I said, well, you can't play the first bar like that. You can't play the second bar like that. Let's get Mozart right. Two hours later, I think they're gonna hate me for the rest of their lives. But I don't see why you shouldn't spend two hours on, on, on a few bars of Mozart flute quartet. quartet. No. Am I being very boring and old here? No, <laughs> you're not. Atara, you've been you've been wonderful. You've already given us so much really lovely, lovely quotes and, and ideas, which I hope people are going to take away with them. And, and I want to thank you so much for, for giving us the time today. It's been wonderful.
And we do enjoy your podcast, Claire, very much. My daughter who's in Canada listens to them obsessively. <laughs> oh, that's I think they're a great addition to all our things. I mean, that's not alternatives, but that's sane, sane and reasonable and yeah. highly intelligent. So thank you for your podcast. And uh, I think just, I think we should go back to basics a bit more on the flute. That was the wonderful Atara Bentovin, reminiscing about the golden age of the flute. Do get in touch with ideas and comments on social at flute or at Claire Flute or email us at flutepodcasts at gmail.com. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.